0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: That's when I thought, hmm, maybe I could homeschool one day. That's when everything changed and I was able to have the space to dream and meet my goals and live my life and enjoy my family and have the brain space to think outside the box and think like, what do I want to do from here? Instead of like, oh God, how can I even get through this day? And that's the thing with motherhood is that the message out there is total BS. And it's just very like, Oh, motherhood sucks. It's so hard. Like just drink all the coffee. We can't remember the last time we showered, but it's fine. Um, you know, good moms have sticky floors and happy kids. And it, it, I mean, I hate it. It does not have to be that way. It's a total lie. And I think when mothers believe that and they buy into it, that's when the first mistake is made and you settle into this, like, oh, this is so hard, but like it just is what it is, and we'll just keep surviving and we'll get through it and I believe that every single person is created to live life well and full and joyfully and abundantly. And there's this idea out there that it's almost like mothers are an exception to that, and we're just like sloppy and braless and like just a total mess. And and, I know it's just a total crap show all the time. Um, And I hate that because it's just negative and it's such a lie. It does not have to be like that. You can feel good, look good, be happy, enjoy your kids, want to be with them. Um, and also have a thriving business or a thriving hobby, um, or thriving friendships and a great marriage. It it can all be balanced. You're just spending too much time on your stuff. There's too much in your way, taking up your time.
2: Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I actually came across your story by way of, uh, I believe your publicist or somebody on your team who wrote in and tell me a little bit about what you did. Mm-hmm. And uh, given that it was about minimalism, something that I'm very intrigued by right now, uh, I thought it was kind of an brainer to have you here. But before we get into all of that, I want to start by asking you a question I don't think I've ever asked anybody before. And that is, who would you say has been the most influential person in your life? And what impact have they had on the choices that you've made with your life and your career?
1: Hmm. That's a really good question. I'm going to answer this based on like recently, because I think that I think that's really hard to just think off the top of your head for like a a lifetime answer. But recently I have been really, really influenced by Greg McEwen. He's the author of Essentialism. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you're
4: familiar with that book.
1: Yeah. um, And man, I think just something about being a mom of four homeschooling my kids. Um, I'm really, really passionate about my marriage and keeping that different than everyone else's. And so that's, you know, that's a lot of maintenance and just time together, running the business. um, I mean, I've got this company that's grown so fast. I have been kind of just falling backwards into learning how to be a boss and be a CEO and make sound decisions. Um, you know, having these other families kind of writing on the success of my business, um, that book and the idea behind it of just kind of pushing aside the excess and asking what has to be done today, um, is so simple, but it has been profound for me and really really changed my life and just given me permission to sort of say, you know, pause please or um you know no never mind to different things in my life um and focus on what needs to get done. It's increased revenue by about 3 times what it used to be. Um it's just made me a better wife and mom. Um it's just been incredible. So I'd have to say him. I had him on my podcast and he was just like such an amazing person to interview and talk with. He's a very influential guy. One of those guys where you're like You look at what he's done in his life and you're like intimidated to even talk to him because he's just amazing.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: So interesting. You know, I I definitely am familiar with the book. I've read it, Uh, really familiar with his work. I wonder, were there others earlier in your life, like parents, teachers, um, people who come from your own background prior to your work?
1: Yeah, actually my mom, um, was a working mom. She, my parents are still married. They're happily married and they're such a great example in that way. But my mom, uh, ran the company with my dad and it was a really busy company. So I, you know, I was raised by entrepreneurs and I saw my mom work from home, um, and, you know, raise all of us. I'm the oldest of four. So I mean, I'm sure you can even hear the similarities in our lives. So now that I'm an adult and I'm kind of living a life pretty similar to hers, um, I've really realized what an influence she had on me. And she did everything so well. Um, and she balanced things and she messed up and would, you know, have a meltdown and then apologize to us later and just kind of navigated being a human being and just rocking both worlds so well. She was incredibly influential um, to me and the choices that I made in my life.
2: Uh- I always wonder with people who had entrepreneurial parents, what are the kinds of narratives that they passed on to you about career choices, education, and how did those narratives differ uh, from the ones that your siblings got? And how did the choices that you and your siblings have made differ?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, especially for me because my I'm the oldest by kind of a lot. So it's me and my brothers four years younger. And then I have two other siblings who weren't even born until I was in junior high and high school. So um, we always joke that my, and my brother's upbringing was completely different from my younger two siblings. Um, but when I was being raised, my parents were in a season where, you know, the business was growing and it was really successful. And, um, I saw that and I remember kind of being there for their wins. Um, they didn't really share too many details with me, but, um, I'm just a really, kind of like empathetic and sensing person. So I just, you know, I could pick up on when there was like a really, really great thing that happened or a really big win in the business or a big success or a big failure or, you know, a lot of stress. Um, And I feel like my mom just kind of stayed steady and stayed the same no matter what was going on. And that taught me a lot without me realizing it about being a mother and owning a business because... I think that being a business owner is very emotional and you are very connected to your business, especially for what I do when my my business and my brand is really a direct branch off of me and who I am as a person. Um, And so it can be hard to not kind of feel those highs and lows in your own personal self. Um, You know, when something goes terribly wrong, it's very difficult to just go inside and play with the kids and be happy and you know have a great have a great day and it's not that she was fake or anything it's just that she was calm and steady even when things were a little rocky um and that just that spoke a lot to me about you know this balance of being a mom and working and being a business owner um and i mean i think that my siblings saw something totally different because my parents had some life changes that happened when they were born um I think my mom worked a little bit less for them. Um, so they don't really think of her in the same way that I do. And I've noticed that when I hear them talk about her, which is funny to me because it's the same mom. But um, yeah, I think that just says something about the way that life kind of ebbs and flows and the way that she, um, my mom showed me how to have, ha- have it all really. And it doesn't need to be a choice between being a successful businesswoman and being um, a mom at home with her kids.
2: Yeah. So you grew up in a family with four kids and you said you have four kids yourself. I wonder what you learned about navigating human relationships, social dynamics, uh, leadership, and making decisions from both situations.
1: Yeah. Um, one thing that's really different about my family now from the family that I grew up in is that my kids are really close in age because my siblings were so far apart. Um, I never really thought it was a terrible thing, but I th- I, as I became an adult and um, you know my husband and I decided to grow our family, we had this really unmistakable drive to have our kids be very close in age. So I think maybe it did bother me a little bit, and it's funny how you'll kind of work that stuff out as an adult and realize, well, it must have affected me in some way, because I really, really don't want that, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that, I think that where you come from, whether you realize it or not, uh, and some things I think you just can't realize until it's our, you know, you're already in your adult life. You're already seeing the patterns or, you know, go in the opposite way. I think they affect us so profoundly. And it's made me very aware of that as I'm raising kids who will now, you know, say this about me one day. Um, mm-hmm.
2: uh, I, I wonder, uh, One, uh, this is something I've always been curious about because my sister and I have a large age gap, and I've had people here with multiple siblings, and I I always wondered, do you think that uh, the age gap between siblings has an impact on the bond that forms between them? And if so, what is that impact, and how has it been different uh, with your kids and uh, your own siblings?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. I definitely... I definitely believe that there, it does matter. Um, of course there's so many things at play, like the different personality types, um, and all of that. But from what I've seen, um, my, my older brother, okay. So I'm the oldest, but my brother that's older than my other brother, (laughs) he's four years younger than me. We are the closest, um, gap and we, are the least close. And it's just a personality thing. My other brother is 14 years younger than me and he's extremely close with me. We talk every single day. Um, I just hired him on in my business. He's working with me. We work great together and we're very, very close. Um, you know, he tells me everything. He shares things with me that happen in his life before he shares them with other people. Um, so, you know, that's, that's interesting to me because we are so far apart, but his personality is a lot more like mine. But with my kids, they are all so different. Their personalities are, I mean, couldn't be more different, but they all have a special bond with each other, despite the ones that kind of like, you know, rub each other the wrong way sometimes. Um, So I don't know. I think maybe it has Something to do with just being close in age and kind of being into the same stuff at the same time, I think because they are so squished together, you know, they're all into Legos at the same time. And then they all kind of outgrew Thomas the Train at the same time. And now they're all reading around the same time. So they're going through the life stages at pretty much the same time. Um, but I, I definitely think that there's a lot more at play than just the age gap. I think it's a personality thing for sure.
2: Yeah. I wonder what advice uh, from your own experiences with your own siblings you've passed on to your children.
1: Um, We always say, you know, when somebody treats somebody else disrespectfully or um, if there's any like, I mean, kids are kids. So no matter how, how you're raising them every once in a while, you know, somebody will do something wrong or, you know, make fun of somebody or laugh when they shouldn't at something that somebody is saying or, you know, make somebody feel a negative emotion. And whenever we have that in our house, I just always kind of let it let it run its course and just say, you know, guys, you're so close in age. Like you are going to be in each other's lives for longer than dad and I will be, you know, hope, hopefully if things go how they usually do or, or how we hope they will, then you guys need to love each other and not treat each other like this, you know, things, boyfriends, girlfriends, um, friends, other people are going to kind of come and go. And this is family and you guys really matter to each other and you need to treat each other that way. And I feel like we've said that since they were babies and toddlers and it's, I, it really has stuck and now they'll repeat it to each other. Like if one of them gets their feelings hurt, they'll say like, Hey, no, don't say that to me, we're going to be friends forever. Like we need to, we need to love each other. And it's really, really, really cool. I totally credit just giving them that in their little brains from a young age to their really close bond right now. And the fact that, you know, we do school at home and they're together all the time.
2: Yeah. Well, there was no way I was going to not ask you about uh, the whole homeschooling thing. Cause I've always been very curious about how people are educated. Uh, so one, what prompted your decision to homeschool your kids?
1: So just being totally honest, uh, I had no desire to homeschool. It doesn't really fit my personality type. I get you know, easily frustrated and I just I wasn't gonna do it. But my husband and I worked really, really hard to get out of the normal um like nine to five kind of schedule routine. Um he used to have like a really regular job that was not well it was called a nine to five, but it was really like a 6 a.m to 10 PM um he worked all the time and we were separate all the time. Um and we had kind of this you know, pretty normal American stay-at-home mom, working dad dynamic. And it just, we hated it. And we had planned for years to get out of it. And so when we finally did through the business that I have now, Um, we found that school kind of just kept us in that rhythm. And we were always taking trips when everybody else was taking trips and not really fully experiencing the freedom that we had worked so hard to obtain. So we had kind of dabbled in homeschooling a little bit when my daughter was being bullied when she was really young. Um, But, you know, kind of put everyone back in school pretty quickly. Um, And we just decided to go all in. So we started we started homeschooling and it has been such an adjustment, but such a beautiful experience and so good. Um, My bond with my daughter specifically has just skyrocketed. It's so close. It's so good and healthy now. And I mean, I think that everybody needs to do what they feel they should do. And there's always ways around, you know, your kids being gone from you during the day and creating that bond. But I just don't know if we specifically would have the bond that we have now if we weren't together during the day. Um, It's just been really a neat experience, but it is incredibly, incredibly difficult at times. Uh, uh,
2: I wonder, how do you develop the curriculum? How do you choose uh, or what role do they play in choosing what they want to learn? I mean, how do you figure out what's essential here?
1: Yeah. um, So I used to be really Like, I just didn't want to mess up, for lack of a better term. I just, you know, there's a lot of fear and a lot of guilt around homeschooling. And it's very much like an oversaturated industry where it's like, if you're not using this and this and this and this and all of these things, then your kids are missing out. And that's the biggest fear for a homeschooling parent is that your kids are, you're not giving them the best, that they're missing out on something. Um, And I used to try to keep up with that. And get these, you know, box curriculums that would take us like six hours a day. And, you know, basically it was the same amount of time as when they went to school, which it's supposed to be shorter and more, um, you know, uh, condensed into you know what the child needs and take way less time because it's one-on-one and it wasn't that way it was taking all day it was very frustrating and I was basically just trying to cover all my bases and make sure like they weren't missing out on anything and in doing that they actually were missing out on the biggest perk of homeschooling which is um the love of learning and the thirst for knowledge and for wisdom and they were just super turned off to learning. And it was just, oh, it was one of the biggest mistakes that I made those first um, year or two homeschooling them. And so my husband and I kind of came together and just decided, like, look, let's pull the curtain back and start from scratch and just kind of follow our gut here and see what feels right. Like we obviously they need to have math. They need to have science and history. They need to know the basics, but how can we fit in a love of learning? And so we kind of stopped having a really rigid schedule. Again, we were kind of putting ourselves into this box of well, what is normal? Well, normal people do school during these hours and it takes this long. You just kind of like subconsciously go back into those patterns because that's what people in our society do. They work these hours, they go to school these hours, they eat dinner at this time. Like, and we just kind of were like, let's just shake things up and get way out of the box and figure out what works best for us. What time of day are the kids like at their optimal, you know, mental state to learn? Um, how does the morning kind of feel? It was feeling really rushed and really like just a joy suck. So we started having slower mornings. We started scheduling just the things that have to get done. Like they need to progress in math. I don't want to homeschool my kids and have them go take the state testing. Um, and not be surpassed their grade level. That's my goal, just because I'm a little competitive. So we do, we do math and we do science experiments and they they learn history. They learn about the history of our country and other civilizations and they learn all that good stuff. But that only takes about two hours a day. So we scheduled that in and left a lot of breathing room for reading and browsing the bookstores and asking them like, what's catching your eye here? My daughter's really into dragons right now. I mean, just anything medieval, anything like knights and dragons and all that. So there's a series called Wings of Fire about dragons and it's this really cool, um, you know, fantasy world, kind of like Harry Potter, but with dragons. And so she just plowed through that. Whereas the year before, it took me nine months to get her to read Black Beauty Mm. and it just wasn't working. So kind of just finding the balance um, of getting in that good old fashioned literature that they need and the learning that they need um, to feel good about their education and know that when they, if we were to do this forever and they grow up and they go to college, that they're good, but also leaving space for curiosity. We take a family hike every week. Um, we're outside all the time. We'll move around. We won't, we don't do much school at the table cause it's just really rigid and we just do math there and, and leave. Um, we go to a coffee house and we'll get them breakfast and do school there. Um, and I think also it's a lot of asking them questions and making them curious. And it, we always invite their questions, even the really hard ones. Um, just kind of inviting them to always be curious and also, um, I think one thing that's been really huge for us and for our kids is my husband and I feeling confident and saying, you know what? I really don't know that. Let's look it up together and just kind of learning together and not feeling like we are the teachers and we have to know everything and we have to do school at this time in this way. So um, I think we found our, our good balance of kind of just being free and curious and making space for that kind of fun learning and giving the kids that thirst for knowledge um, and making them feel safe to answer, to ask any questions and just be curious about random things. And sometimes like it'll lead into a whole unit study. So if they start to we're on a hike and they see a snake and they're super curious about that snake because we said, Watch out! If it rattles, like we need to get out of here. It's not good. If they bite you, you can die. That sparks curiosity. So we we'll go home and we'll research that. Then that leads into a whole unit study on all the different types of snakes, and you know that spirals into um, you know a lesson about different climates in the world and where different snakes live, and just kind of leaving space for that. That is how knowledge sticks into those little brains, not by sitting down at the table and you know telling them be quiet and stop kicking your feet. We need to learn. This
2: Mm -hmm. Um, one thing I wonder is uh, what impact has being homeschooled had on their worldview? Uh, What do you think the impact of it is to not have sort of the social influences and social program that comes from being around school uh, and a a group of of other kids? Because I, I, in my mind, as I'm thinking about this and asking you this question, I always wondered, wow, if I didn't learn about popular kids and designer brands, like how different would my worldview have been?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is such a good question. I'm not, I'm not, and I hate to phrase it like this, but I'm not one of those homeschoolers that's like very anti-school. Um, so in my, in this culture of homeschoolers, I tend to not really belong anywhere because it's either like really extreme like that or just kind of like, well, I'm just homeschooling because I have to, and I hate it. Um, And so I definitely think like there's good things about going to public school. And I think, I definitely think that there are positives, but what I've seen in my kids is, is just the beauty and their childhood lasting a lot longer. Um, My daughter's going to be 10 next month and she's just She's like a normal nine-year-old in like, you know, the 70s, 80s, even 90s. Now it's like these girls are having eating disorders and they're catty and mean to each other. And it's sad. Everything is just starting so much earlier. Um, And, you know, we saw a little bit of that when they did go to public school. But thankfully, they were so young they didn't get into these upper grades, you know, like fourth and fifth grade, where it's just getting so intense. I've got several friends who are pulling their girls um, out to homeschool because of bullying, um, you know, bulimia. And these girls are nine years old. I don't understand. It's it's insanity, but it's the truth. And that's what's happening. Um, And I think, too, in terms of their worldview, we... So we are Christians, and I was raised a Christian, but I have a really big problem with the Christian homeschooling atmosphere, um, if I can be so bold as to say that I really hate it, because it's very closed-minded, it's very... um we don't even tell the kids there's other things out there. It's this is it and that's it. And so my husband, Brian, and I have really talked a lot. We have a like a meeting together once a month to go over the kids' schooling. And we talk almost every single time about like, how can we do this better? How can we just keep their brains open and let them know like, this is what we found to be true, but this is really interesting. Like, let's dive into this. I don't want them to grow up and get out there and be like, what the heck? Like, I didn't know anything about any of this. So they're really aware of other faiths, other religions, other um, cultures. Um, That's probably my favorite thing to do with them is just study other cultures and how other people live life and eat and worship and do other things. Um, And I also want them to find God for themselves. So it's, we really don't, this is so anti-Christian homeschooler, but we really don't do any Bible schooling. Um, I grew up in a Christian private school. And if anything, it deterred me from the Lord. So I am really like, they see me reading the word. They see me having my time, my relationship with God. They see me spending that time each day. um, But I don't really say much about it. I'll answer their questions. I guide them when I need to. Um, You know, we talk about prayer. We talk about God and all those things as they ask, but it's not something that I force down their throat. And what I've seen is they're making that choice and they're experiencing him for themselves at such a young age. And it's so neat to see that. It's such a relief because it's a little scary to do something that's so different from how you were raised. Um, and then about the social aspect that you asked about, what's been really shocking to me is to see my kids being incredibly well like they're so well-conversed. They can talk to adults Um, and they can have a conversation. They make eye contact. Like, you know, of course there, there's certain ones that are a little shyer than the others, but they can have these conversations and they use like, you know, quotes, big words, and they, they talk and they know how to have a conversation. Um, they know how to go up to a girl that looks like, you know, the same age as her and just talk to her and be her friend. And um, I don't I don't want to be, you know, I don't want this to sound harsh, but I simply don't see that from my, my friends, kids who go to school. Um, it's, they're very like tech obsessed. Their brains are fried. They're just freaking fried. It's sad. They're burned out. They're cranky. Um, and so I've really seen my kids have this healthy, well-rounded worldview so far. And to just, you know, know how to talk and know things about life. We travel all the time. It's one of our core values. We usually take a trip every month somewhere. Um, so my kids have been to almost every state they've seen and met a lot of people. Um, you know, they, they've they been around. They, they're really like, cultured and they're, they're nine and under. And I think that's pretty incredible. And homeschooling has given us that.
5: Wow.
7: All at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
5: Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry?
2: Uh, let's shift gears a little bit and start talking a little bit about your work. Uh, Mm -hmm. What is the trajectory that has led you to where you're at today, and what have been the significant inflection points?
1: Uh, so I think how I got started is, um, it's just really special to me, and it's kind of unique. Um, I was a stay-at-home mom, and I had a like a hobby blog. Um, because I've always been a writer, and I love to write. Um, and it was just kind of a good outlet for me. And, you know, I had like a few hundred followers and thought that was a really big deal. And, you know, it was exciting and it was something that I did. Um, but my husband worked for a really large company. He did like, um, tech and internet work, um, for businesses and stuff. And they moved us, uh, out to the Midwest. So we're from Southern California and we were moved to Northwest Arkansas, which was just a shock. The weather, culture there, um, the dining. <laughs> and it was all just a big shock. And um, we were promised more pay and better hours. And um, this is a company, I can't, I'm not allowed to name them. I made that mistake before. But it's a really big worldwide company. And they just don't care about their employees. Um, and they were, they totally lied about everything. We got out there and well, yeah, it was better hours, but the pay was even less. It was way less than they said it was. And it was less than we had in California not just because of the, um, what's the word, you know, the decrease in pay when you move somewhere cheaper, but less than even they said that would be, it was just a complete lie. Um, and there was not enough work. Like, I don't even know why they moved us out there. I honestly just think it was, um, what God wanted for us because that situation and being ripped away from friends and family and trying to start over and ending up being in like 10 degrees and, way worse off than we were here, even though we were barely making ends meet here, it was even worse there. Um, kind of led me to stop pushing down this idea that I'd been bubbling up inside me for a couple years and decide like, I'm going to do something about this. Um, and I, I went all in. I learned about, I taught myself how to code. Um, I learned about turning a blog into a business, creating courses, and basically just got amped up about this idea that I could take my message of less and simplifying and helping. I was helping like a few hundred women and I decided that I wanted to help millions. And so learning how to get there, um, I wrote guest posts like crazy. I did webinars. I created video series and would give them away to other websites for free if they would just link to my site. Um, I did everything I could and... um, About a year in, we went viral. Uh, That was in 2016. And we were actually, the article that I wrote was trending above the first Hillary Trump debate of that election, which was insane. And so such like such an honor. It was so amazing to see that happen after like all that hard work. Um, and so after that viral article, um, things started coming in. Um, we were on Jenny McCarthy's show, Good Morning America, But Today Show, Huffington Post, all of these, you know, big media outlets. Um, and that kind of kick started the business. We went from, I went from having about 500 people on my email list to 25,000 overnight. And we went from having like negative hundred dollars in our bank account to 25,000 also overnight. It was an experience that I will never, ever forget. And that kind of like jet launched the business and the success that it is now. Now,
2: Um, where did this whole idea of living with less come from?
1: Uh, it came from me and my story and my motherhood, um, back before we had moved to the Midwest and all that happened, we didn't even have, um, our last baby yet. Uh, I was just really overwhelmed. Um, I definitely had depression. I kind of will, I will kind of struggle with that. It's just part of who I am. And I was in this dip really bad and just was, couldn't, I felt like I was the only mom in the world that like, couldn't get it together. Um, it was really, really hard. I kind of would just wake up every day instead of being like, okay, you know, it's a new day. I would feel like, oh God, could it be night still? Because I don't even have what I need to get through this morning, let alone the entire day. And that is a really, really terrible place to be day in and day out for months and months at a time. Um, so I was kind of in that place and I I really just ended up hitting a breaking point and kind of snapping out of it and getting back to my usual self, which is really like go-getter um, and thinking like, okay, I'm going to figure out I'm going to figure out what is causing this. And basically, long story shorter, I had this moment where I just had an epiphany and I realized like, I could see my days. I I just had this like thought, like I could see how I was spending my days in my head. And all I was doing was like, was maintaining my space and maintaining my life instead of enjoying it. I was like shooing my kids away so that I could catch up on the housework and spending my nights and weekends catching up on laundry. Not because I'm a neat freak or anything, just because. That's the level it was at. It was constant. Um, And I never felt like I was able to really enjoy my family, enjoy my babies, enjoy my time with my husband um, without paying a serious consequence of catching up later. Hmm. So I... I ended up just realizing that and i started to just purge i mean i literally just like got the kids in bed that night and got a trash bag and went at it and i got rid of anything that didn't feel like it was worth going into my new life i decided like this is going to be a splitting point um and you know i'm like when you're splitting a video like this is it i'm putting a split here. And from now on, everything's going to be different. What's worth coming with me and what is not. Um, and very little was. So I just, I trash bagged everything up. I donated it all the next day or threw it away if it was trash. Um, and I worked through my house over the course of a few months. And I mean, immediately before I even finished the next day, everything was different. The kids played better together because kids play so much better when they have less options and they're less overwhelmed. Um, I felt, like I had way more time in my day. I didn't have a pile of dishes to wash at the end of every night because we just had what we needed for the day. And then I would, you know, rinse them and use them again. Um, And there was less laundry to wash. Like everything just got lighter. And that's when I started my blog. That's when I thought, hmm, maybe I could homeschool one day. That's when everything changed and I was able to have the space to dream and meet my goals and live my life and enjoy my family and have the brain space to think outside the box and think like, what do I want to do from here? Instead of like, Oh God, how can I even get through this day? And that's the thing with motherhood is that the message out there is total BS. And it's just very like, Oh, motherhood sucks. It's so hard. Like, just drink all the coffee. We can't remember the last time we showered, but it's fine. Um, you know, good moms have sticky floors and happy kids. And I mean, I hate it. It does not have to be that way. It's a total lie. And I think when mothers believe that and they buy into it, that's when the first mistake is made, and you settle into this. Like, oh, this is so hard, but like it just is what it is, and we'll just keep surviving, and we'll get through it, and. I believe that every single person is created to live life well and full and joyfully and abundantly. And there's this idea out there that it's almost like mothers are an exception to that, and we're just like sloppy and braless and like just a total mess. And and I know it's just a total crap show all the time. Um, And I hate that because it's just negative and it's such a lie. It does not have to be like that. You can feel good, look good, be happy, enjoy your kids, want to be with them. Um, and also have a thriving business or a thriving hobby, um, or thriving friendships and a great marriage. It, it can all be balanced. You're just spending too much time on your stuff. There's too much in your way, taking up your time.
2: Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why is it that you think we place such a high value on material possessions as a culture, and why does it take the kind of wake-up call uh, that you had for people to to realize that? Because I was just writing about this this morning. I, I you know had this piece titled, Advice to Graduating Seniors, uh, mm-hmm. what I would tell myself if I could go back, and I'm going to republish it, because the last time I published it was in May, and I thought, OK, you know what? Better to give this advice in January when they can actually do something with it. And one of the things I, I did was I looked around my room, And I I realized it's like, wow, I don't have anything materially that I had when I was in my 20s, like none of it. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder why you think that that is such a dominant cultural narrative and why it takes a wake up call like the one you had to change it.
1: Well, I think it's just, I mean, obviously it's a money game and the messages that we're being bombarded with um, are really intense and it's all like more is better. Um, And it's very, very like subliminal, (laughs) but it's there. And if you open your eyes for even just an afternoon and you notice it around you it's everywhere and even like I um I was reading recently about how Target sets up their store and I was I mean I it sounds kind of weird but I almost got kind of emotional and teary reading about it because it's kind of sick like they have they spend so much money on people who professionally deceive and place things in in certain places to where you're not even thinking about it and you're just buying junk. And it's I mean, they that's where they spend most of their money is just on the layout and on the science behind Well, how can we get them to grab more? And they put things like the deodorant that you walked in for way in the back of the store. So you're walking through all these other things first. I mean, I would encourage anyone to listening that's listening to this to look that up because it's really eye opening and it's just this deception game. Um, And there's nothing wrong with with having things that make you happy. Like I I loved interior design and I love having a beautiful home. Um, My style is really like kind of modern and bohemian. So there's lots of little things everywhere that make me really happy and layered rugs and things like that. But it's all stuff that goes into the flow of this is where I school my children. This is where I work, where I create, where I provide for my family. And I need to love being here. It's not about just materialism and stacking up stuff for the sake of look how much stuff I have. Look how nice this is. Look how beautiful and perfect everything is. Um, but I, I think as a culture, we're very focused on appearances. Um, and just, I mean, just getting kind of uh, open here. But my business makes has started to make multiple seven figures every year. And my husband and I have chosen to take a small percentage of that and not really like increase our earnings as the business increases because we just don't need that much. And so we have like a really normal house and a normal neighborhood. And like I said, I love design. So the inside of the home is, I think it's beautiful and I love it, but it's, you know, it's pretty normal. We have normal cars, nothing, nothing, crazy going on. We spend our money on experiences and travel with the kids. And so many times I'll, there's like an underlying tone in conversations with people. Like we love to host things. So we have like people come over from church and, you know, I have a book club and all this stuff going on at our house. And so many times the conversations will be like, um, how can I put this without thinking of an example, basically like, Oh yeah, like well, I know that you're I know you're not doing this well because if you were, you would have a mansion up in Bear Creek over here in Temecula and the hills and you don't. So maybe one day that'll happen. You know what I mean? Like this kind of underlying tone of like you see what somebody has and you label them. And Mm -hmm. if you're rich, then you spend your money on a big house and a fancy car. And if you're not rich, you don't. And if you say you're rich, but you don't have those things, you're lying. And it's this weird game, um, especially in what I do and meeting other people who, you know, make what I make and do what I do. It's like this weird um, dichotomy of like, I don't know, it's just a weird game people play where it's like, well, I have this, so I drive an Audi. So obviously, you know, it's 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 everywhere um, and it's just so weird and it's a game that I Used to want to play because I used to be poor, and I like that I'm not anymore. But it's just so pointless, and I think that because of things like that, as a culture, we're just driven to showing what we have, or if we don't have it, setting up a facade that shows we have it, even though we don't. And that's why everyone's in debt, and we've got so much stuff. Our houses are like upwards of three thousand square feet, and we also have storage units. Some people have multiple storage units. It's out of control.
2: Yeah. Well, my parents' garage always reminds me of that. Uh, So this actually raises a question. Uh, You mentioned earlier going from sort of 500 followers to 25,000 subscribers to multiple seven figures. So we're talking about metrics, which makes me really wonder, how do you measure your life?
1: Um, Honestly, it's by how I feel. Um, Right now we're having like Really great success in the business, but I've just really felt like my mental health is, is slipping and I've kind of been going back into a lull and I just, I'm not taking good care of myself. So to me, that is not a win. It's just not. Yeah. It's great to increase revenue. It's great to be able to give more. It's great, but. At what cost? It cost me sleep. It cost me uh, peace. It cost me being really stressed. It cost me um, missing out on my kids' karate lessons a couple of times in the last couple months. And that makes me super sad. Um, So what was that all for? And so that's, to me, kind of a check-in of like, great, I'm glad that we have that. And that happened. But uh, if I could do it over again, I would not it's better to just stay where we were and because I'm so competitive and I'm so, um, numbers driven and I, I love increasing and I'm always working on something. It's hard for me. It's hard for me to check myself before I wreck myself and kind of step back and say, what is this going to cost me? Can I do this while still maintaining good mental health and good relationships? It's fine to have seasons where work is a little more prominent than family and vice versa, but if you're not ready for that, if it's not a good time, I'm learning to say no, thank you and wait and just take better care of myself. So I think I think I'd have to say that I measure my life based on how I'm feeling and what's the health of my marriage like, because my marriage is the foundation of our family and what's the health with my relationship with my children and how am how am I feeling if I feel really tired, something's off, you know,
2: mm-hmm. This is the reason I ask this is, you know, we recently had a guest named, uh, will store here who wrote a book called selfie, how we've become so self-obsessed and what it's doing to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, and a lot of the research was extremely disturbing. Uh, you know, sort of this idea that if you don't, uh, have a hundred thousand followers or you're not famous like Beyonce or Steve jobs or Oprah, you've effectively failed at life. And Mm -hmm. that seems to be the underlying message, I think. Uh, and I think the impact of that, which I happen to agree with him is, is incredibly toxic, uh, cause you can read a website like medium every single day. And it's littered with what I would call success porn, some of which I've probably written myself. Mm. Uh, and so I wonder when you experience the kind of sort of drastic shift that you have from, you know, sort of lingering in obscurity to suddenly being really famous, mm. how do you remain detached from that? Uh, and also being, you know, the competitive person that you are, how do you keep your ego out of it?
1: Yeah, that is such a good question. And honestly, it's just such a process. It's constantly checking in. Um, I've, in the last year or so, I've taken up meditation every morning. And now I'm up to doing it for like maybe 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the day. And that has been really, really huge for what you just asked. Just kind of knowing where I'm at, knowing myself, realizing my motives, making decisions for the day. Like, you know what? I really don't like where my heart is at and doing this live or doing this um, feature. I need to either just kind of check myself and get my headspace in a different place or cancel it um, because I think the worst thing that I see in being in the industry that I'm in being, you know, quote, connected and hanging out with these other people, I see they're not good people. And unfortunately, most of them are like Christian leaders and authors, and they're preaching all this stuff and talking about, you know, self-care and, um, you know, keep going. You can do it and all these positive things, but they're awful people. And when I meet them, it's very, very clear. And I know that's a powerful thing to say about somebody, but it's very clear. You are not, you're not what you say you are. And you, it's like they, the fame goes to their head and it is That has got to be the most unattractive quality on the planet because it's just like the ego is so it's so there and it's so big and it's so unattractive. And so because I am so driven and I'm so numbers motivated and I love growth and I'm always trying to increase things because if I increase, then that means that's more women getting my message. So I try to focus on that part of it. I've got to... um, I have a sign in my office that says a million people over a million dollars. And it just serves as a reminder, like, yes, a million dollars. Great. We need that. We need to help the world and save women from sex trafficking and give to these organizations that are doing that and provide for our employees and for ourselves and our future. But a million dollars means that, I mean, divide that by the prices of my course. Like, That's a lot of women who now have hope and a, and a lighter, a way to get out of the muck and get into a lighter lifestyle. So I think the biggest part is just meditating and focusing inward and in what's going on with me and what are my motives for the different things that I'm doing, especially if it's going to be something that feeds that in me, like a really big television feature, um, or like an honor or like a award or something like that, always having to check in and just stay, stay humble and really intentionally do that. And then, remembering, um, even with the big goals, like, yes, the email list size matters because we can project income from that and just, you know, figure out how much we'll make on each launch. And that matters, but not to, not to focus on the number of dollars and the number of people, but focus on how many of them are going to create change in their lives by getting enrolled in in my program. And I think that's what the best thing is about having a business that is like purpose and heart centered.
2: Hmm. Yeah. You know, the reason, uh, you know, that came up in my mind is, is my, one of my oldest friends and uh, former business partner. He and I were talking about friends of his wife that are like YouTube celebrities. And so he's like, these are terrible friends. Like mm-hmm. he said, they don't reply to texts, but they'll reply to strangers on the internet uh, mm-hmm. via Instagram and talk about, you know, the various things you're talking about, like self love and self care. And I'm here for you. And yet the people that they actually know in their real lives, they're flaky as hell with.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's so true and oh my gosh, God forbid that that, that that ever be where, where I go on this path. But I have to say too, that it is so hard because it's a weird, like the internet is so amazing, but it's given us this new weird thing where your life is on display and you can control how much of it you share and how much you don't, which I think is, is real, really the key to staying healthy in this, but it is so weird. Like my life and my, my family, my kids, how I'm raising them, how we live, what our house is like. That's my brand, that's my business. It's the lifeblood. So when I share that and I'm open and I share like this is what we're doing today or here's how I structure my schedule, I you know when I share those things, business increases. People trust me. It builds the no like trust factor. I need to do those things. Um so it can be really difficult to not prioritize that because you're kind of equating it like this is money. And also, I mean, I'm sure you've read some of the studies done that show like what it does to your brain when you see those likes on Instagram and you get that feedback. Like it's kind of like a, basically it's giving you a new type of high and it's addictive. And I mean, for anyone listening to this, I would say like, you've got to set up breaks. I just got off a week long break with no Instagram on my phone. And it was so, so good for me just realizing how often I felt the urge to pick up my phone and capture something instead of being in it. Um, just kind of that wake up call, like fast from the things that, You need to do, but you don't always need to do. The world's not going to end. Like revenue's not going to stop if you just take a break, especially YouTubing. My God, so draining.
2: Interesting. Yeah, it's funny because we just had Cal Newport here to talk about his book uh, Digital Minimalism, and Cal has been a vocal critic of all things social media and questions the majority of it, as I have as well. uh, More and more, especially now that I've been off since the beginning of January, like I haven't had a single Facebook status update or you know Mm -hmm. Instagram post. And what I am finding is that. The value of it is beginning to be really questionable to me. And I'm beginning to see that maybe this isn't essential. You know, we started out talking about essentialism, and it's becoming very clear to me that this doesn't need to be an integral part of everybody's life. And the fact that it's becoming much, much less a part of my life is making me a much happier person.
1: Absolutely. So I'm, you know, my, the people that are on my team are always like, please stop saying that in interviews, but I'm always going to say it. I'm not on Facebook at all. I have a team of people who for on my Facebook page where it's more public and people are new and they're you know, it's weird if they're like, who's this random person commenting? I thought I was on Ali's page. They'll, they'll be my voice and they'll encourage people and talk to them and say, Hey, you can come over here to this group if you need this. Um, and, and they run my, my admins are paid to run my groups. Um, and people know that in there, like it's, I'm not in there. I just don't spend time in there and I, I can't Facebook drains me. Oh my gosh. I, I hate Facebook. Um, I don't even have it on my phone. I use a third party app to do live streams when I need to. Um, but Instagram, I like, it doesn't drain me. I like it and I can control that, but once a month, like I delete it from my phone and just take a breather. It just doesn't need to be there. Sure. It helps. And it builds again, it's building that no like trust factor because not everybody opens their emails. But if I had to drop it, I absolutely could. And I think it's important to not use that as an excuse. Like, oh, well, it's my business. I have to like, no, you don't. You can email, you could delegate, you could record something on your phone and have somebody post it for you. Whatever you can do to stay mentally healthy and create less in every aspect of your work, especially social media, do that.
2: Hmm. Well, I I think that makes a really uh, fitting end to a very thought-provoking conversation. So I want to finish with one last question, which is how we finish all of our interviews at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Hmm. I have to say just having everything that you, everything that you do in your life, everything that you say to the people that you love. And if you are, you know, uh, and, and any sort of platform, which I think we all are, I think people think platform means you have like tens of thousands of people, but even if you have a, a hundred or 50, like that's a platform, I think letting everything that you say on there and that you put out into the world coming from really, where are you? Like really, what are you learning? What are you going through? What are you figuring out right now? And the internet giving us the gift to share that with people is huge. And it's all for nothing. If it's fake or if it's what we think we should say um, or we stole it from somebody else, you know, it's where, where are you right now and what are you learning and how can you put that out into the world to encourage somebody who's going through that as well and really be your authentic self? Hmm.
2: Amazing. Uh, Well, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights with our listeners. Uh, Where can people find out more about you, your work, and everything that you're up to?
1: Yeah, um, I think just heading to my website. It's just alikasaza.com. You can kind of choose your own adventure there. And if you need help decluttering or simplifying, or you just feel heavy, um, you know, that you can get some free resources there. Um, Or follow me on Instagram, because that is where I do show up and you can kind of see um, day-to-day stuff there.
3: only from rustolium